I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I saw the skinwalker. The day began when I woke up from my bed and looked through the window. It was still morning when I went to school and noticed the door was open. The bathroom door was also open. I entered and saw a head looking at me through the window. I ran out, locked the bathroom, and left the house. I went to school until I heard footsteps behind me. I started running, and when I reached the window, I saw a shadow. When my classmates arrived, the shadow disappeared. Later, when I went out, I saw my house in a mess. Then I saw him at the door of my room. I ran, grabbed a pan, and continued running until it was afternoon. I went back inside my house, and it was empty. I lay down on my bed and fell asleep. I have seen what I believe to be greys, and I've seen them on two different occasions. Once when I was a child. I had an experience one night. I was probably around six or seven years old. I remember sitting up in the bed. You know, back there in those days, back when I was a kid, people didn't lock their doors, stuff like that. 
I kind of lived out in somewhat of a rural area, and I remember the door coming open one night, and this light coming through it. I mean just this bright, like a bluish-white light, and I remember seeing this little person come walking in. And he had this kind of leotard jumpsuit on, and he came up and he sat down on the bed with me. And here I am, five or six years old, freaking out, you know. And I'm freaking out and I'm trying to scream but nothing is coming out. This creature, being, or whatever it was, just kind of sat there a minute. Then it got up and walked into the kitchen. And my little curious self went in there, and there was nothing in there. So I kind of chalked it up to be some kind of childhood dream or hallucination or something like that. It wasn't until I was an adult that I saw a similar being, almost in the same way. I had just gotten married at that time back in like 1996, and the thing came into my house in the same type of manner. So have I seen them? Well, if I haven't seen them, then I've had some pretty damn vivid dreams of them. Now if you want to look at it from the perspective of, have I seen them while I was Bigfoot hunting? Well, I haven't seen a creature per se, but I have seen some very strange craft like objects and funny glowing little lights and stuff going through the woods and stuff while I was Bigfooting. I don't know. Even now, I'm a tad bit unsure if what I saw was even real. But I'm 99% sure that, yes, I have seen aliens. When I was a teenager, probably about 15, 16, I was hanging out with a group of friends out on the back deck at my buddy's house, which backs up to a small forested green strip, pretty much a forested area that runs through residential areas to provide habitat and protect streams from pollution. One of my friends looked down off the deck and said, WTF is that? When I looked, there was what I can only describe as a huge humanoid shaped shadow figure. Its proportions weren't normal, it was very broad, didn't seem to have a neck, and was just massive like seven, eight feet tall. It didn't have any discernible features, no eyes, mouth, hair, etc. It just seemed to be made out of the absence of light, if that makes sense. It was just standing there facing us at the edge of the tree line. Has anyone ever heard of anything like this? Obviously Bigfoot or Sasquatch kind of comes to mind as far as the size and shape, but I don't think that's what we saw. Recently, my fiancé and I were watching a movie. I'm not sure what it was, but there was a scene in the movie with a UFO. We got into a conversation about it, and she asked me if I had ever seen a UFO. I proceeded to tell her the same story that I'm about to tell you that I had never told anybody because to be quite honest as I was telling her the story. Memories were coming to me that I had completely put in the back of my mind. I lived in a small town called Dover, Missouri, about 60 miles east of Kansas City. I was living with a girlfriend at the time and her brother. My girlfriend worked the night shift, so I would stay up late at night and wait for her to get home in the morning. For some reason, we decided to go to Concordia, Missouri to a truck stop for coffee. The truck stop was about 25 to 30 miles away from where we were. My girlfriend's brother was driving his car and I was riding in the passenger seat. We left the house at about 12.30 or 1 o'clock in the morning and proceeded to drive east on Highway 24 leaving Dover towards the exit to go to Concordia. My girlfriend's brother had some god-awful rap music playing in the car and I was looking out the window watching for deer. 
As I am looking out the window he is talking, but I'm really not paying attention to what he is saying because I see a bright light about a mile ahead 200 feet off the ground ahead of us. I was able to gauge the distance because I could see beyond the water tower that I was familiar with at an orchard on Highway 24. I could clearly make out that the red light was flashing on top of the water tower, and this light appeared to be just off to the side of it and above it. I watched the light for about a minute or two, and I asked him if he saw what I saw. I can only describe it as a ball of light that changed colors. As we got closer I noticed that it was not moving, it was stationary side by side with the light on top of the water tower. Keep in mind this water tower is in the middle of nowhere. There are no buildings around for at least 15 to 20 miles beside the barn that was on the opposite side of the road, and is about half the height of the water tower. I remember telling him it was not moving. We stopped the car to get out and look at it, and it started to move. This is the point of the story where my fiancé asked me what happened next, and to be honest, until she asked me that question I never thought about it, and I do not remember what happened next. My next memory is turning south onto the side road off Highway 24, but I believe that it was much later when we arrived at the truck stop around 3 a.m., but it seemed perfectly normal to us at the time and remained that way until the night I was with my fiancé many years later. As I have thought about it more the last month or so I remember flashes of images, but I do not trust the images are accurate because as I said, I'm not sure what happened. Sometimes, life takes you down a path you never intended to tread. That's exactly what happened to me and my mate, all those years ago while bushwalking in New South Wales, Australia. We were just two friends on an adventure, with no idea of the sinister discovery we were about to stumble upon. In the heart of the bush, amidst the eucalyptus and the bird calls, we found a peculiar structure. It was a platform made entirely out of rocks, carefully arranged in a way that suggested it was intentional, not just a natural formation. It seemed out of place in the wilderness, a discordant note in an otherwise harmonious symphony. We didn't think much of it at the time, simply marking it up as a curious discovery before we continued on our journey. It was only much later that year that the memory of the rock platform took on a dark, foreboding significance. It began with a string of news reports about a series of arrests. Backpackers had been disappearing in the area over a span of few years, their disappearances largely chalked up to the risks of traveling in such isolated locales. That is until a man was arrested on suspicion of their murders. As the case unfolded, it was like a veil being lifted from our eyes. The news ran footage of so-called altars discovered at several of the murder sites, slightly hidden in the dense bushland. The chilling sight of those altars, constructed from rocks, sent a shiver down my spine. They were eerily similar to the platform we had encountered on our bushwalk. Worse yet, they were often found no more than 300 yards from the victim's shallow graves. The man at the center of this horrifying tale was Ivan Milat, now known as Australia's worst serial killer. He was convicted for the murders and has since spent his life behind bars. Yet the thought that we had unknowingly stumbled upon one of his macabre altars was a chilling realization that has never quite left us. 
Even more unsettling is the fact that the police suspect that Milat didn't act alone. Although they were unable to gather enough evidence to prove it, the belief that there was at least one other person involved in the heinous crimes persists. The idea that this accomplice might still be out there, possibly continuing Milat's horrific legacy, added another layer of unease to our fateful encounter with the rock platform. It was a chilling reminder that sometimes the most innocent adventures can intersect with the darkest aspects of humanity. That bushwalk in New South Wales was supposed to be a simple outing between friends, but it turned into a haunting memory we'll never forget. A 23 female took my two dogs, a cane corso and a labradoodle, on a walk on a nature trail near my home. My car was the only car parked in the parking lot when I arrived, so no one else was on the trail. The trailhead only has one entrance and the trail has thick forest on either side of it. My dogs and I started walking and maybe three quarter of a mile and a man on a bike approached me from behind. I moved aside with my dogs to let him pass me and when he does, my cane corso lunged toward him. I held her back, but that was unusual behavior for her. Around five minutes after the biker passed me, he passed me again going the other way toward the exit, and again my dog lunged at him. I thought it was extremely odd that he decided to turn around so quickly since he couldn't have gone much more than a mile, which seems like an extremely short bike ride. He was dressed in biking gear and had a professional bike. It just seemed like he turned around very quickly after he saw me. I decided to stop and let my dogs rest and I FaceTimed my boyfriend to tell him about my odd encounter. My boyfriend agreed to stay on the phone with me while I walked back because I felt unsafe. Then my dogs and I turned around and started heading back to my car. About half a mile into our trip back, both of my dogs lunged at something inside the tree line off to the side of the trail. They barked and growled and tugged on their leashes towards the area of the tree line. I did not see anything there, but my dogs definitely sensed something. We moved on and made it to the parking lot, and I saw one other car there with that man's bike hanging on the bike rack on the trunk of the vehicle. Once I got closer to the car, I realized no one was inside. I have a bad feeling that man had very bad intentions. I think that he biked back to his car after seeing me, walked to that spot on the trail and hid in the woods to do who knows what then had second thoughts because I was on the phone with my boyfriends and I had two big dogs with me. It makes me sick thinking about it. I'm open to other explanations if anyone can think of one. I want this just to be an innocent encounter, just a misunderstanding on my part. But it feels sinister and I feel like my dog sensed his energy from the start. This situation made me realize that walking alone on a rural trail, even with two big dogs, is not safe for me. Edit. Him using the restroom in the forest is unlikely. There is a bathroom in the parking area. When I saw his car parked next to mine, I originally went to bathroom area because I worried he might be in his car or by his car. When I eventually went to my car to leave, that's when I realized no one was in his car. Sometimes I'd be blamed for causing problems I didn't know about, but rarely so it wasn't concerning on, I always chalked it up to a misunderstanding. I 18 female, 
live with my brother and mom, so not much goes on. We just coexist, and sometimes my brother causes issues, but not usually me. But he's not causing these, and they've been happening more. It feels like something's playing a trick on me often. Stuff like my phone pass won't enter for, and then will with the same pass as before. My mom keeps nagging me about putting my muddy shoes away wrong and messing up stuff and I never do this. I always leave them out to wipe off. I haven't went out in a month, but this happened twice. And today was the weirdest, my mom left and my brother was in his room. I had dinner for one hour, and when she came back the counters were all scratched up like someone took a knife and scratched them. My mom said she might have to pay for them renting. I was in my room and then washed my dishes so I wouldn't have noticed, but she did right away and my brother said he didn't use knives. I only opened a package with one away from them. It's just a mystery, and she blames me because I was the one out, but I was in my room most of the time too. I want to say it's all a misunderstanding, but it keeps happening. It seems like me. It's centered around me, but I'm not doing these things. I don't cause problems especially not after being told not to, and she's brought this up. And seems to believe me because I seem confused, but also thinks I'm just forgetting like something's wrong with me. But nothing is like that, and I'm not forgetting. I have a good memory. I've come to think at times I'm being haunted or messed with. I mean what else am I gonna think at this point? I kinda just wanted to stop it's freaking me out. During middle school, I dreaded taking the bus for my dad's house. The bus stop was across the highway and down a secluded dirt road, situated between affluent waterfront houses and a less affluent, swampy area. The setting had an eerie atmosphere, particularly in the early morning darkness. One day as I waited at the bus stop, I sensed that something was off. It felt wrong from the moment I left home. Standing alone, surrounded by dense woods with no houses nearby, I began hearing faint movements in the distance. Something was slowly rustling through the brush, intermittently pausing. Initially, I dismissed my unease as paranoia, trying to rationalize the sounds. But my anxiety heightened as the noise persisted and seemed to draw nearer. I felt as though I were being watched, and the unknown presence in the woods seemed to be closing in on me. Growing increasingly fearful, I reassured myself that it was just my imagination running wild. However, the minutes dragged on and the noises grew closer. The suspense became unbearable. Suddenly, silence descended and a snapped twig shattered the quietness right behind me. I froze, anticipating an animal lunging at me. I dared not turn around, relying on my backpack as a feeble shield. Then I heard it a distinct, muffled cough. Undoubtedly human. Panic surged through me. The realization that someone was hiding in the woods sent shockwaves of terror. The pattern of sounds and their proximity made it evident that this person had been inching closer while trying to conceal their presence. Innocence was not their intention. Overwhelmed with fear and uncertainty, I contemplated making a dash back to my dad's house, knowing he possessed firearms for protection. However, I hesitated, fearing an ambush if I turned my back. Just as I was on the verge of fleeing, the bus appeared, illuminating the area with its headlights. 
I kept my gaze fixed on the woods until I heard the bus door open behind me. I swiftly boarded, rushing to the back seat. Although it was unlikely that the individual would follow me onto the bus, I was prepared to escape through the emergency exit and seek safety at my dad's house. As the bus transported me to school, I sat in the back corner, replaying the harrowing incident in my mind. I remained silent, unsure if anyone would believe my story and fearful of potential embarrassment. I never used that bus stop again. Years later, I discovered that the surrounding area, including the dirt road, was infested with sex offenders and criminals. It dawned on me that someone had been observing me at that stop, likely with malicious intent. The thought still sends shivers down my spine, and I am grateful for the fortuitous timing of the bus's arrival, sparing me from a possible ordeal so close to home. Okay, so me and one of my friends were joking around last night in the woods, as we usually do, because it's fun just to chill its calming. But basically, we have been those woods abbed a good 100 times. I know it like the back of my hand. We were coming back and it's like 12.40 at this point, we went out at like 11.30. As we are about to leave the woods, we hear a loud ass whistle right at us. It wasn't bird-like. I've heard countless birds and it wasn't near that. It sounded human, and my brain became uneasy, and we ran a good mile I'd say looking every direction seeing if anything was there. Mind you, I licked for around 40 minutes from the closest town, and I live in a very small community, so it's very unlikely that it was another person. I only had my lighter that I carry no flashlights or anything, so we were pretty freaked. Any ideas what we heard? An old friend of mine had a canine search and rescue operation and had several dogs that had different skills. He had dogs that were trained for different things, one to search for human remains, one that was trained to search for live survivors, including through the rubble of accident or disaster sites, and even a little dog that could detect bed bugs. I would sometimes help in the training of the dogs by hiding in the woods or in hard to reach areas, and I loved doing it. It's amazing to see these incredible animals working. Plus, I loved them. I sat with them a lot when he was out searching in different parts of the country for actual victims. One afternoon, we were walking through the park with a cadaver dog, a beautiful German shepherd who was the face of the company, not working. But we did have our canine search and rescue attire on when a man approached. He stopped us to ask if he could pet her, which is not uncommon and she was super friendly and sweet, so we said of course. The weird thing is that the moment he stopped, the dog immediately gave her signal and lay down right by his feet. My friend and I looked at each other almost in horror because the dog was signaling that she detected human remains. She was the most experienced of all the dogs and would not have made a mistake. It was clearly her signal. It spooked us both so much that we cut the conversation short and left quickly. To this day, we have no idea what that was about. I should also add that she was trained to detect human remains. She was taught not to alert on animal remains. I still think about that day a lot. After posting it in the other sub, there have been a lot of theories from fellow Redditors. Everything from mortician to rotting toes, or even a dead man's shoes, 
but none of those reasons would have caused this response, and I honestly still have no idea, and neither does my friend who is a professional. I think seeing him spooked was even more unnerving. He's an army vet that's been in combat, an EMT, and a firefighter and has seen some shit, so he's pretty calm in every situation. I experienced something weird when I served as a military police at the Yakima Training Center 9293. It was a long time ago, and I will try to share the story with as many important details and as few embellishments as possible. But as we all know, time is the enemy of human memory. I was on duty on a cold December night in Yakima, Washington. Our base at the time was the second largest training area in the U.S., and its hundreds of square miles of semi-desert area is ideal for all kinds of military training. On this night, however, there was no training and downrange was devoid of all military personnel, as I confirmed later. I was working the 6P6 a shift, and I left my station to drive down Cold Creek Road, the main access road to the training area. Approximately eight miles away at the end of the paved road, is a research station or listening outpost that has the largest radio dish I have ever seen. At this installation, within our installation, security is provided by DOD police officers and our SOP was to drop in once a shift. To check in with these police officers to ensure everything was running smoothly. Now my duty at YTC was pretty boring as it only housed a hundred soldiers permanently and things only picked up when large units would visit to hold training. So I can only imagine how bored out of their minds those Dodd police officers were working in a secured installation within a secured installation. At any rate, I left my station station at approximately 2 a.m. If memory serves, and I set out to check on the DOD research station. Though it had been snowing on and off all day, it was not snowing at the time I headed out but there was a lot of snow on the road. Having been born and raised in Houston, Texas, I was a novice driving in the snow, so I drove very slowly, which I didn't mind because I had all night or morning to get there and back. I was driving a Jeep Cherokee that had been outfitted with a complete police package, cage, bubble gum, or takedown lights, bumper bars, the whole shebang. I slowly made my way down the road, listening to Jodesai on the radio and generally thinking about my plans to leave the army. When my ETS day finally arrived in September, basically there are two types of people who are in the army, lifers and people who cannot wait to get out. I was firmly within the camp of the latter. I was about halfway to the research station when the radio began to annoyingly lose reception. As I fidgeted with the radio, my vehicle was lit up by a bright light from above. I brought the vehicle to a complete stop and tried to look up through the windshield to see what the hell was spotlighting me. But to no avail. I reached for the door handle to step outside, but a cold chill ran down my spine and my instinct screamed not to open the door. Mind you, I was armed, locked and loaded, but still the fear made me hesitate. Those few seconds, then just as suddenly as it appeared the light flicked off. I slowly opened the door poked my head out, and there was nothing hovering above me. Clearly shaken, I picked up the pace and made it out to the research station. I played it cool and asked the DOD officers if they had seen anything show up on their camera. 
which is positioned two miles away from their location. They rewound the tape and nothing, except my lights coming down the road. I figured out that the incident occurred before I came into view of that camera. I returned to my station and made some calls. First call was our air traffic control, and they verified what I already knew that all aircraft were grounded due to the inclement weather. I double-checked with another call to our helicopter rescue crew on duty, and they confirmed they were grounded due to the weather. I then called range control, and they verified that there were no units or military maneuvers downrange. Considering that our airspace is restricted, I highly doubted it was a civilian aircraft that spot-lit me. After much thought, I eliminated the possibility that it was a helicopter because everything was grounded. And even though I had been listening to the radio, it was very low, and I would have heard the chopper blades. It wasn't a plane because of the reason of restricted airspace, and whatever spotlighted me was pacing my slow jaunt through the snow, and the light was directly over my vehicle, not coming in from the side, putting a 15-foot radius on the Jeep Cherokee. I know I did not hit my takedown lights because I looked down when I was... Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I was spotlighted to see if I had done that exact thing and my panel was green. The buttons turn red when in use. Besides, the lights are focused on the front of the vehicle, not in a 360 circle. I kept the incident to myself until the next night when a retired Air Force tech sergeant dropped by our station when I was on duty. After presenting his ID card, he went on to say that last night, while he was on his way home, he saw some strange lights engaging in his words. Impossible maneuvers over our training area. He went on to say that after 25 years in the Air Force, he had never seen aircraft fly in that manner. We called a TC and again they stated no aircraft in the area last night. Considering that one has to go out of his way to get off the highway to drop by our station made me believe the guy was on the up and up. During the following week, I did some UFO research at our local library. Wish I had Googled then and found out that Yakima had UFO sightings. Since 1947, 
a pilot reported seeing flying saucers while flying over Yakima. In the strictest sense of the word, I did experience a UFO, but what it was I have no idea. I checked the logs that night and I was able to confirm no lost time, so for sure no probing. I was left with a mystery that nags at me to this day. That's my story. A truly inexplicable incident occurred quite some time ago, shaking the peace of my tranquil surroundings. Nights were filled with the resounding barks of my beloved Labrador Retriever, echoing through the darkness. The neighbors attributed the commotion to the presence of coyotes in the area, as these cunning predators had been wreaking havoc, mercilessly preying on ducks, geese, chickens, and even feline companions. Countless cats mysteriously vanished, leaving behind a void in the hearts of their owners. After a particularly harrowing night, I ventured out to survey the aftermath. What I discovered chilled me to the bone, a peculiar sight etched into the landscape. In a roughly four-foot diameter, the grass lay flattened, crushed under an unseen force. Clusters of hair, torn from some unknown creature, were scattered around the area. These tufts of hair, varying in color from a light shade not quite blonde, not quite white astonished me. Some strands were as long as a horse's mane, reaching a foot in length. But it was not horse hair. No trace of equine presence could be found, for there were no horse tracks to be seen. Intrigued and disturbed, I carefully gathered the enigmatic hair, preserving it within an envelope, intending to send it for analysis. Once I locate it, I will gladly forward it to you, in hopes of unraveling the mystery of its origin. This unsettling incident transpired a mere 20 feet from the sanctuary of my front door in Cherry Grove, Oregon. Nestled in a wooded area on the eastern slopes of the coast range, my home has witnessed the passage of time for 47 years. Throughout my tenure, I have encountered various creatures that call this realm their home. Yet, the discovery of a solitary 5-inch panther track, a mere 30 feet from my back door, stands as a testament to the enigmatic nature that pervades these lands. I've always had a knack for getting myself into unusual situations, but when I was transferred to a remote town in Alaska, I had no idea just how unusual things would get. The town was surrounded by a vast, dense forest infamous for its strange occurrences. The locals spoke in hushed whispers about the inexplicable disappearances of hikers and chilling apparitions that had a knack for driving people mad. The rumors didn't bother me until the day a couple vanished without a trace during a routine hike. I was Officer Gene Wilkinson, and leading my team of ten officers into the depths of that forest was a decision that would forever haunt me. We were seasoned police officers. As we moved deeper into the forest, we encountered inexplicable phenomena. Disembodied whispers filled the air, seeming to lure us further into the wilderness. Apparitions flickered in and out of sight among the trees, their presence chilling us to the bone. Then, one by one, my team started to disappear. No cries for help, no gunshots, just a terrifying silence that stretched on until we were down to half our original number. That's when we saw it a monstrous creature, more beast than man, its twisted form a grotesque mockery of a dog. The cryptid the locals feared was real, and it was hunting us, 
With my heart pounding in my chest and the primal fear of being hunted surging through me, I found myself stumbling upon its lair. A ghastly sight awaited me there, the remains of countless hikers scattered around the clearing. Gritting my teeth, I radioed the station, relaying the grim discoveries and the horrifying situation. The backup was hours away, the terrain too treacherous for a quick response. Alone and scared, I decided to search for the cryptid. I crept through the woods, my flashlight revealing nothing but shadows and the occasional pair of reflective eyes belonging to a harmless critter. Hours passed in a chilling silence, the creature nowhere to be found. Every snap of a twig, every rustle of leaves set my heart racing. The sky was beginning to lighten when I realized my search had been futile. The cryptid was gone, and I was left alone with my fear and the haunting memories of my fallen comrades. As I write this report, I can't help but replay the horrific events of that day in my mind. The fear, the despair, and the overwhelming sense of loss. But if there's one thing I've learned, it's that even in the face of insurmountable odds, you don't back down. You fight, you survive, and you live to tell the tale. I work as an ice logger in Peace River, Alberta. Now, mind you, I am there only four months a year. But I will tell you that we have a nice camp, a nice setup, and we go 24-7 hauling wood for the big chippers, and chips go to China as wood heat, etc. Anyhow, we had a bridge out where we have to take the big chip trucks across, and we're six of us there. Some idiot trucker threw out a bag of trash right on the river. Mind you, at this time in the season, it was 40th below. We all saw these big tracks come out to this bag and rifle through it. This thing, whatever it was, dragged its feet, whether to hide its prints or what. But all of us are tough, bruised, battled, and scared loggers who never said a word to each other. Just looks or, I guess, glare at each other. But we knew there was something there in the wood line. We've done our work and we got the hell out of there. This is the thing. Truck drivers don't have to stay in the woods like us. Whatever it was did not like that bag of trash thrown there. We were not allowed at night when we were skidding to go five feet from the machine. Have your smoke, but don't go too far. Now this is written down as an offense if you do it. Our old cook. Well, she's not that old, but she told us not to throw food out at the camp because it would cause ravens to come in and cause a racket in the morning. Because the boys work 12-hour shifts and hate to get woke up. Anyway, this night I was on days at the time and could not sleep. So after supper, I stayed around the kitchen talking to her. She is a Plains Cree lady and I am Mi'kmaq. So after a while, like 9 or 9.30, I noticed her bagging stuff, leftover dinner, etc. I said I will take that out for you. Our trash bins are bear-proof with heavy lids. She said no. So I watched her take this bag outside and lay it beside the bear-proof bins. I was thinking WTF. I did not ask her much or why really she does that. But in a way, she said it was for her big friend. I did not go see if the food was gone as I worked 12-hour shifts, but I do watch here after our supper and or breakfast. She puts certain things aside for somebody or something. We have around 200 acres of woodland. 
Me and my dad live on the front end of the property, and on the back side of the property we have a rustic hunting cabin. No water or electricity. The back end of our property also sits on the edge of a state forest. You have to travel something like 12 miles before you reach any kind of road or trail. Several years back during deer hunting season, my dad and I were sitting around the campfire back at our hunting cabin. It was near dusk and we were done hunting for the day, just relaxing. We both saw something moving in the sky that caught our attention. A larger purple shape about the size of a small car was floating along just above the tree line. It was moving rather quickly. It came from the direction of the front end of our property, came towards us, went above our heads and continued back toward the state forest until it disappeared from sight. If I had to guess, I would say it was moving about 15 miles per hour. It didn't look like a cloud, but it didn't look quite solid either. We both saw it happen and just kind of remained silent for a minute, and then confirmed that we both saw it. Neither of us had any good guesses as to what it could have been. Only thing I can come up with is swamp gas, but that's not a good explanation, I don't think. That's my strange hunting story. It hasn't been enough to keep me out of the woods, but creepy all the same. I'm a wildlife biologist. I do a lot of work in northern Cali in Oregon, and during the summer I work nights. I'm female and do most of the work solo. Last summer I was hiking in deep woods in northern Cali, about an hour and a half from my truck with no cell service. Around 1.30 a.m. I had finished up surveys and was heading back when I suddenly smelled something odd. I continued up the steep hill, and as I came over the top I was suddenly on the edge of a large camp. The area was cleared and I could see several tents and UTVS and trash everywhere. That weird smell? It was a porta potty. I could also see a fire pit with several figures sitting around it. I stopped dead, immediately dropped to the ground and scrambled behind a tree. I was close enough to hear some mumbled conversation and occasional loud laughter. The only reason there would be a camp that far into the wilderness would be to grow weed illegally. These people can be very violent, and many people involved in the industry go missing every year. Women especially can be swept into sex trafficking, never to be seen again. I got out my spot device GPS locator and satellite messaging and sent my location and situation to my supervisor. I crawled as quietly as possible back down the hill before retracing my steps to take a long way around. My adrenaline ran high until I got to the safety of my truck, and I crashed hard and cried on the phone to my supervisor. That was one of the more terrifying moments in my career. I've had several encounters alone with large predators, but nothing is scarier than encountering a group of strangers alone in the deep woods. This report details a sighting I, as a police officer, had of an apparent bipedal canid in a suburban township of a large city along the Navajo. The original sighting came from two boys who were riding their bicycles. They spotted what they thought was a man walking with a dog, but upon closer inspection, they realized it was not a man. That wasn't very long after this that I also reported seeing something very similar during my own patrol shift. It had been raining for some time, 
so there was plenty of mud to have casted footprints and possibly even made impressions upon. Leading up to my first encounter, I first noticed some sort of unusual activity at around 7.30 p.m. on May 23, 2011. It was. Very shortly after this, I got out of my vehicle to investigate, leaving the engine running in case I needed to make a quick getaway. I saw something large beneath some trees on the other side of a wire fence that had been knocked down beneath power lines. As it looked up at me, I saw what appeared to be a canine but standing on two legs instead of four. The creature did not stay around for too long. There's no more information about its exact size or weight available. It was described as being at least six feet tall, reddish-brown fur all over its body, which could be interpreted by some people as being wolf-like. Whatever this creature was, it sure knew how to quickly escape from me. As there's no clear information on its speed or general mannerisms, the boys immediately called their father and described what they had seen as a tall man. The sighting drew a lot of attention to the area, and soon other people began reporting seeing similar creatures. In fact, a Navajo tribal officer also witnessed what he would call a skinwalker, reported it to be at least six to seven feet tall and walking around the same neighborhood. Although that was a separate incident altogether and occurred right after some time after the boy's own sighting. This report included a statement by a third witness who claimed the creature may have been used for some sort of camouflage or stealth while hiding in some trees or brush about 50 feet away. Shortly before seeing me, this man said he had heard dogs barking and howling in a terrible way. This bipedal canine was also described as being covered in dark hair that was more reddish-brown. This eyewitness account came from an 18-year-old Navajo male who claimed to have also seen the creature on May 24, 2011, right around 12.30 a.m., near his home. It is unknown whether or not all three witnesses were together during any part of their sighting, but it seems likely due to the creature's size being so similar. My sighting happened within less than a mile away from where these two others had seen this. Thanks to Lyle Blackburn for his assistance with this report. I come from Phoenix, Arizona. I haven't traveled to many places during my life but I was born, raised, and schooled there. Since I didn't want a boring city job, but I didn't feel like moving either, I signed up to be a ranger in the Tonto National Forest. The job wasn't easy or fun all the time, but at least I didn't have to sit in a crowded office all day. I loved my job for the most part. I really did, all up until a crazy night that I won't forget. I was working my third shift, starting late in the evening. While doing the first tour, it was still fairly light outside. There wasn't a whole lot to see. Many people had already gone home, and the rest were well on their way. I finished the tour, headed back to my station. Time flew by quickly, and I was already getting prepared to do the second and longest tour of my shift. I had to walk about four miles down a rocky road, all the way to the Theodore Roosevelt Lake. The walk down was quite easy and very quiet. I reached the lake in less than one hour. I was a bit tired from walking, so I sat by the lake to try and get some rest. The first thing I heard was a splash. It sounded like a very large fish jumping out, falling back into the water. 
Shortly after that, there was another, but this one was closer and louder. It sounded far too big for a fish. I got startled a little bit, so I stood up and began slowly backing away from the lake. The thing in the water began to speed up as well, and I could see something waving its tail towards the shore. Still walking backward, I was focused to see what would emerge from the water, and the first thing I saw was a mouth. A huge mouth, a long one with many teeth, slowly creeping out from the lake. I moved faster back up the hill, turning my head to see what was behind me. After a few steps, when I turned my head, I realized the creature was already running towards me at full speed, looking somehow crocodilian. Its legs were short, but had huge claws on its feet. It resembled the famous Bear Lake monster. I was terrified. Even though it was short, it was moving and closing the distance between us, and my instincts kicked in. I managed to pull myself up quite high on one of the pine trees. I stayed up there for a whole seven hours while this thing waited for me to come down. Only when the sun had come up did it disappear. I finally got off the tree and sprinted the full four miles to the station. They sent over divers and some police, but didn't take what I had reported too seriously. I still work there, but I refuse to go near that side of the forest. And trust me, I get crap for it all the time from my buddies. So I'm going to tell you the story of my brief encounter with a man called Happy. I hope it's okay with the mods that I use the name that he gave me Happy. I'm sure it wasn't his real birth name, but it adds to the creepy ambience of the story. Even though it happened around nine years ago, sometimes he still crosses my mind, especially on gloomy overcast days in Lay, just like the day I met Happy. 2013, I'm working at a cannabis dispensary in Venice Beach, a block from the boardwalk. A good 35% of our patrons were unhoused people. Occasionally someone experiencing severe psychosis would try to come in, but if they were screaming or unintelligible security would not let them in. If they had and presented the holy trinity of medical papers, ID, and cash, they were good to go. We had a compassion program where we'd bag up grams of shake left over from bottoms of jars and give them completely free, one per person per day, to anyone who asked. Word about this spread quickly on the boardwalk. Generally, these people would be the nicest, most polite and considerate customers, even if they did smell a bit stinky and their money got pulled out of a sweaty sock. No one working there would bat an eye if someone came in smelling like they'd slept on the beach for a week next to a bottle of vodka, as long as they just calmly buy their weed and be on their way like any other customer. It's a foggy, chilly day around the holidays, sometime between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Someone called out, so I was the only person in the back bud-tending. There was another employee at reception and the security guard at the front door. I'm alone in the back room. There are cameras, but no one is actively watching them. This guy walks in after being checked in at the front. He's the only customer ATM, and I swear the whole room gets colder as he walks in. He is wearing a very worn-in, deeply faded, wrinkled, conformed to his body, floor-length leather duster jacket like this, and a similarly beaten-up, wide-brimmed leather cowboy hat. It looked like he'd lived and slept in these same clothes for years. We did not allow hats, hoods, or sunglasses in the store, 
so I'm surprised that security didn't make him take off his hat. This man is at least 6'5", and built like a boulder, not obese kind of large, pick you up and toss you like a rag doll large. The stench that comes with him is unlike anything I've ever smelt before or since. It was beyond B.O., beyond piss or shit. It smelled like actual death, as if he had raw rotting carcasses tucked under his thick, long leather coat. I thought I had been hardened by plenty of nasty body stank before, but this was absolutely revolting far beyond anyone who hadn't showered lately or pissed their pants. I'm trying not to inhale very deeply, and I say, Hi sir, excuse me I'm sorry, would you mind taking off your hat? Just store policy. Big customer service smile. What are you looking for today? He grunts deeply, he is walking very slow, shuffling and dragging his feet. His voice sounds like he gargles with gravel, rough and wet, raw and angry. I don't take off my hat. At this point I'm not trying to argue with this man about his hat either. Let's get him in and out. I glance down and see he's not wearing shoes, the bit I can see from under his coat. One of his ankles is massively purple black and swollen, melon-sized. The bottoms of both his feet are bloody and tore up. I realize he is leaving a slight trail of blood as he drags his ragged feet across the concrete floor of the shop. My first thought is how and why the F did security let this guy come in. Second is this guy's is obviously seriously injured, and that is concerning as a human being. I'm making sure to keep the display shelf between me and this guy, but that's only about a foot of space like a bar. He gets to me and the stench gets stronger. I meekly but sincerely ask, Are you alright, sir? His eyes flare at me. Why do you care? And I'm like, Well, I tried not my chair, not my problem. Not my monkeys, not my circus. Great, what can I get for you? He pulls up one of his sleeves to expose his forearm. It is covered in large round burns like from a cigar, some old, healed, and some fresh, pussy and infected. It's not track marks, it's burns. He also has a jagged homemade-looking stick-and-poke tattoo of a smiley face, a crooked circle, two lines for the eyes, and scabbed-up curve of a smile. He points at this tattoo. Happy. My name is Happy. The rotting stink was so strong and I needed to breathe little gasps, the least possible. I walked here. I walked all the way here from Pasadena. I'm like, wow, sir, that's a very long walk. Anyway, what are you looking for today? just for you. His eyes are dark and menacing. He is smeared with a layer of grime, like he lives in the woods dirty. He doesn't look like the average crust punk or disabled veteran you'd generally see living on the beach. It was hard to guess his age, but he wasn't that old or young, somewhere between 30-50. He looked like he dragged himself here from his log cabin, like what would happen if you entangled some quantum mechanics poorly and mixed Ed Jane with an 1-in-800s homesteader, then transported him to 2013 Venice Beach. I, of course, have never seen this man before. Once was more than enough to make him unforgettable. He keeps staring at me and I move as far back as I can to the wall, hopefully out of his grasp if he lunged. I would need to walk out from behind the case and around him to get the security guard. I'm weighing my options, haha, <laughs> bad pun intended. I decide to grab a bunch of compassion grams and then weigh out in one eight and mark it down that I'd pay for it later. And he's still just leering at me, 
wheezing heavy stinking breaths. We actually have a special today only for people who walked more than 10 miles to get here. This is all for you on the house. Thank you for stopping by. He accepts the bag, but continues to just stand there and stare at me. Thank you, Happy. It worked. He grunts a guttural noise that is not a word and slowly turns to shuffle back towards the door. At the door, he turns back towards me and says, I'll see you later. He finally walks out after, leaving plenty of his residual stench of death behind. Thank any and all of the gods, I did not see happy later or ever again. When I asked security why the F did they let him in, he said that when he had noticed his bloody feet and said, hey bro you all good, that looks like it hurts. Happy had stepped up in his face and threatened to choke you out, stupid n-word, and since it was just him and two 22-year-old, 130-pound girls, he wasn't trying to die tonight and figured hopefully Happy could just get his stuff and leave. He was watching the cameras in the back ready to call police and owners if anything got weird. Apparently we had different definitions of weird, but I understood his reaction, and ultimately we're all fine, just spooked and creeped out and now needing to clean blood off the floor with bleach and gloves, and texting our boss that he owed us free weed about it. He agreed, and we all lived happily ever after.